am Lee Henson Hasty. I am honored to be Senior Director of Theological Education Funds Development at the Presbyterian Church USA Foundation. That's a ministry of the Committee on Theological Education, of which David Crawford at McCormick Seminary, your president, has a seat. Uh, yes. Anna, and I'm honored, honored to be here with you. Thanks for taking time in Chicago. That looks very sort of arts and craftsy, you know, background behind you. Very Chicago <laughs> uh, to me. Um, and uh, it's good to see your smiling face. It's really wonderful to be with you today. I've been looking forward to this conversation. Good. That's great. And... Um, we are. Uh, we may have a little bit of delay. We're going to try to keep our ourselves going here together at the same speed as much as possible. And please let us know in the chat on Facebook that you are here and who you are and the questions you have. Uh, we have a lot of territory we want to cover. Um, there's a new book. I'll go ahead and just give you a flash of the book. I apparently got it before. Uh, the the writer got a copy. That's a real book. It's That's amazing. Not... <laughs> God will be in our all in all um, theology through the lens of incarnation, um, and um, we'll be talking about dreaming a different world. And at a perfect moment here, as we come through this pandemic, we're starting to see the light at the end of the tunnel. Um, I remember myself trying to see the light at the end of the tunnel one day, and. Richmond, Virginia, and my first pastorate, and I reached out to you and drove a couple of hours, and you met me and bought me a cup of oh. hot tea. That's, so I'm imagining that hot I tea. I, I can <laughs> remember that conversation. <laughs> and, wonderful. And we're keeping that conversation going um, about why theology really indeed matters, not only to how we think yeah. and believe, but how we act and how we practice and how we live our lives. So if those kind of questions are interesting to you, I hope you'll stick with us. Uh, Anna Case Winters, I'll have to say nobody knows how to ask um, better questions than you do. And there are there is such a thing, as Chris Tibbet says, as a better question. <laughs> um, so um, lots of beautiful questions. Um, what is it that is giving you life these days? Howard Thurman asked. Uh, what makes you uh, come alive? You're the professor of theology at McCormick Seminary. We'll post your bio. You're involved in the ecumenical movement. Uh, you've been involved with the PCUSA nationally. You're a writer. You're a mother. You're a spouse and partner. But what is it that's making you come alive? I'm happy to share that. It's um, wonderful to be with you again and to engage these conversations. Uh, one of the things that's truly giving life to me is, is some work in a year-long project led by the World Communion of Reformed Churches. In this working group, representative leaders from churches all across the globe uh, have been meeting together and talking about COVID-19 and right. beyond. We're asking, what does God require of us? And we are dreaming a different world. With the pandemic, we faced an apocalypse. Mm, true. At its root meaning, as you know, apocalypse is an uncovering, a revelation. Well, what 
has been laid bare by COVID-19 is the destructive dynamics of mm. systemic racism and economic injustice. We've seen so clearly why some were more vulnerable to the virus and its ravages than others. Some people said the virus is no respecter of persons. It's the great leveler. We say it's not a great leveler so much as it is a great revealer. Well, I got to stop right there because that'll <laughs> preach. Apocalypse, <laughs> not so much a great leveler as a great revealer. Um, that is, that's a gift. Um, yeah. <laughs> So what this is kind an of apocalyptic right, time. Right, right, Well, I think it's true that we're all in the same storm, but we're not all in the same boat. Mm. Some of us are traveling in Noah's Ark, <laughs> while others of us are on the Titanic. Mm. Uh, many people already knew that this was the social arrangement in our world. Mm. Um, it wasn't news to them. Mm. But the pandemic has cast a light that throws these uh, lethal inequities into mm. sharp relief. We've all seen it now. There's no more innocence, mm. no more plausible deniability. Uh, so now what? What what are we going to do in the aftermath of the apocalypse? Yeah. We're facing yeah. these multiple interlocking crises. Mm -hmm. And yet, see, you answering this question about giving you life in the recognition of interlocking crises is interesting in itself and also what i hear though what's giving you life in the midst of that is you're not alone you have a working group that's doing this together and i, I so i wonder what in the world is this working group seeing yes it re really has helped to have this conversation group and uh sadly mm -hmm. uh, what we see when we take a clear-eyed look is that um, well in our social world we see white supremacy as alive and well. In the U.S. of 2016 to 2020, we saw it giving a blessing from on high mm -hmm. and gaining ascendancy. Um, we have these recurrent, racialized, deadly police violence indices, uh, wielded brutally and within seeming impunity. We see the ongoing repression and brutalization of women and sexual minorities. We see a habit of constructing categories by race, class, caste, or religious affiliation. And these differentiations designate some as permissible victims mm. of hate crimes and much else. Mm. Economically, uh, we've seen that 1% of the population have twice as much wealth as mm -hmm. 6.9 billion people. Uh, we have an economy based on extraction and exploitation, mm -hmm. poverty wages, and voracious consumption of natural resources. 
this economy is not good. Not not for people, not for the planet. And, right. and then politically, we've seen uh, jingoistic nationalism mm. typified in America first. Mm. We witness the fragility of democracy when authoritarianism is on the rise, when power-grabbing demagogues and dictators are at the helm, anything can happen. Ecologically, we've observed the looming climate emergency. It is already here in the erratic weather patterns. Hurricanes and floods here, droughts and fires there, climate refugees the world over. And the first and hardest hit victims are those who were already poor Mm. and vulnerable, who, by the way, are not the chief consumers and beneficiaries of fossil fuels. So um, we have this multiple interlocking crises beyond COVID, Mm -hmm. bigger and even more life-threatening than the virus. Mm. We're in a situation uh, that even a vaccine will not remedy. So um, this does not sound like good news, Dr. Case Winters. (laughs) I'll come to some hopeful things, but this is what Uh, we're seeing. And I appreciate that. And and I think we do need to open our eyes and not close down. I mean, that's one of the reactions, I think, in the midst of crises and multiple pandemics is we disengage and that's that happens but i also and it's but i also think it's important you talk about them as interlocking because sometimes we see all these things separately the economic issues the political issues the ecological issues um the interpersonal issues there's multiple things going on um but i'm also happy to hear that there is you're seeing a way forward so maybe the working group has have they, have they developed any proposals? Have you gotten to that sort of way forward kind of look uh, to where we could go, how we could get through this? Um, what is it that pastors and leaders who listen are we're going to be able to do to help? Yes, happily, we have come to some of that. Um, some of our pr- proposals for addressing the crisis are laid out in a document calling for an economy of life. You can find the resources on the World Communion of Reformed Churches website. Mm-hmm. We've partnered with other global bodies, such as the World Council of Churches, the Lutheran World Federation, the Council for World Mission. All of these jointly mm-hmm. are making mm-hmm. Working proposals. together, working together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and what we're offering is somewhat radical, <laughs> but it's a radical change that we need. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we're calling for a new international financial and economic architecture. Mm-hmm. Um, it's got many elements. Um, just one, um, there is um, what we affectionately affectionately term the Zach tax. Mm-hmm. Uh, you will recall Zacchaeus who promised to return fourfold what mm-hmm. he had taken unjustly. Mm-hmm. The Zach tax would include an in- initiation of a progressive wealth tax, mm-hmm. measures to curb tax evasion and avoidance, taxes on multinational corporations, 
we've, we've actually made progress here recently, um, not just because of the, the global faith communions, there are other forces at work, but I, we've, we're making a contribution to that. Um, and that's, the idea I mean, is that's beautiful. That, that's beautiful. I mean, yeah. and I like that it's based Very on, helpful. it's a biblical character. You know, Zacchaeus, a wee little man, but I remember Gordon Cosby, <laughs> uh, the Church of the Savior, and my wife Elizabeth has talked about this too, is called for Zacchaean economics. This sounds like uh, Zacchaean economics right here. I mean, is. a Zach tax, you know, you know, where you're returning. Um, and it's a, it's, it's a clear call. And that is something that particularly investors, right, and can get involved in helping with. Yes. So we go yes. to the World Council of Reformed Churches, The Economy of Life is the name of the paper. We'll yes, uh, that's share right. that link. Thank you. And you can all see all the videos of our process in this year-long work. Um, and, and while it's been hard work, there are these encouraging moments of, of we can make a difference. Mm -hmm. what, one mm -hmm. other proposal that we're suggesting is that in the spirit of Jubilee, mm. we should call for international banks and financial institutions to cancel the external debts of low-income <laughs> heavily indebted countries. Uh, just servicing wow. their debts uh, is a crushing burden that siphons mm -hmm. off the resources mm -hmm. that are desperately needed to meet the most basic needs of people. Mm. Uh, in, in effect, what we've been saying is that we are called to bear witness to the God of life amid the death-dealing structures of our day. Mm -hmm. That's going to involve um, some protest and some prophetic outcry. Mm. Our group, <laughs> we've said it's time to put the protests back in Protestant. Yeah, oh, yeah, I like that. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. We, we've even wondered whether we might be on the verge of a new reformation all right okay but this, this is, is a different a kairos moment it's a different kind of reformation it sounds like to me yeah i i think it's a reformation that is a kind of revolution all right <laughs> a global revolution against greed violence mm. and every kind of injustice and it's a global revolution for life solidarity human dignity um, so, big question, mm -hmm. will the church be part of this revolution? Okay. <laughs> Martin Luther King reminds us there is nothing more tragic than to sleep through a revolution. Mm -hmm. Right. No question mm -hmm. that there is a revolution on the way. Mm-hmm. The question is whether the church will be on the right side of the revolution. Uh, being on the right side of the revolution. Now, now some of the Hamilton songs are starting to play in my head. And what was the um, uh, the the song Tracy? What was her name? Talking about a revolution. Um, oh, Tracy yeah. Chapman. The Tracy Chapman song. You know, all these revolution songs are starting to play, and it sounds like. This means the church has the potential to be involved, but the church will probably need to change to be involved in this um, kind of transforming work. Is that is that what you're saying? Yes. It's not the same kind of church. Something there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's it exactly. If we want a different kind of world, 
Mm. We're going to have to be a different kind of church. Okay, okay, okay. So, so we're dreaming a different world, and that entails dreaming a, a church that can be a sign and a foretaste of a world of which we're dreaming. Mm-hmm. So how? You know, how do we do this? Exactly. We don't have a roadmap for this or even a compass to guide us through these post-pandemic times. We know very little of what the future holds. As a church, uh, we've been through some unsettling times. Maybe we should be unsettled. Right, right. Our calling, after all, is to follow, Mm -hmm. not to settle. Right. It's a time for remembering that we are ever a people on the way, under the Word, led by the Spirit. Right, right. I I think we have actually begun to reimagine the church in these COVID times. We've had to ask, how can we be the church when all our churches are closed? Mm. What what might the church be Mm -hmm. untethered? from its properties. Right. We say things like, um, the building is closed, but the church is open. Amen. We say, the church has left the building. (laughs) (laughs) We we even say, the church has taken to the streets. Mm -hmm. Did we not find church in the streets during the protests? Right, right. We say, ah, now we remember, the church is not a building, the church is a movement. Right. It's a movement of God's spirit in the world God so loves. Where is God at work in the world? Okay. <laughs> That's where we should be. We right. should be standing where God stands, and God is not confined to the sanctuary, neither should the church be. How can we become a church out in the world, a church for the world? Mm -hmm. We are dreaming a different world. Yeah, and it sounds like these dreams are not just some sort of mental uh, gymnastics, um, but it's an embodied kind of faith that is... um, uh, It's prayer in action. I think Mm -hmm. in the Book of Order, in the Presbyterian world, we have... um, There is... Um, there's some words about this that prayers aren't just with words, um, but with how right. we how we live our lives. Is it's it's is that what you're talking about? Quite right. Yes, the, definitely on the right <laughs> right track here. <laughs> it, it's the embodiment of what we're dreaming. Mm-hmm. Working for this is going to require ecclesial imagination, mm-hmm. more of that than we've summoned thus far. Mm-hmm. And it will require a larger assembly than we have assembled thus far. Mm. I imagine a church that will join hands with people across denominational divides, across faith traditions, with people of goodwill, and especially the people leading the emancipatory movements of our day. So we will work with all the partners God sends. Mm-hmm. As the saying goes, to change everything, we need everyone, everywhere. 
<laughs> my students, they're they're on the very verge, the the edge of this new thing God is doing. Mm-hmm. They're dreaming this dream, and they are giving it hands and feet in mm-hmm. their ministries and in their activism. Mm-hmm. They are bold and mm-hmm. adventurous and mm-hmm. committed. When I see what they're doing, I take hope and I right. gain courage. Right. My students are a, a big part of what is life-giving for me today. They pose those deep and difficult questions that shape my research, my teaching, and my writing. Mm-hmm. It's a privilege to be in their company. Mm. Really, we're dreaming a different world together, mm-hmm. and we're going to work for it. And they say, we will not rest until it comes. So you're making my case for the support of future ministers, let me just say. This is what gets yes. me up in the yes. morning and gets me going. And it reminds me of a, a conversation I had with um, one of your colleagues who has taught for some time at Union Presbyterian Seminary, Francis Taylor Gench. She said, when, when you lose hope in the church, just come visit a seminary and meet That's some of the it. students. And, oh, and, yeah. and I'm glad to hear that's still true uh, for you. Um, and I'm not surprised whatsoever. And it must be kind of where this book comes from is that kind mm-hmm. of hope that kind, kind you know, it's interesting. You, it's God will be our all in all through the lens of incarnation. What you're hinting at with your students is that kind of incarnation, I think. Um, and you speak about incarnation with a capital I and a little I. Um, what is it that that really got this book going? And I can't believe we only have five minutes left. So we're going to, oh. um, but this will help us. I think it's motivation for this embodied kind of exercise. Um, your book from, I, I literally got it yesterday in the mail and had uh, already made it through about a third of it. I'm so excited um, about it. Well, I thank you for that excitement. You did get the book before I did. <laughs> and we <laughs> have a flyer. Oh, we and have a flyer with a discount also. There's okay. a, we're going to post. So. Yeah. Well, it's seeing it in your hands today makes it feel real. So that's <laughs> good. Great. good. So you were, I think you were uh, moving toward, you know, why incarnation? Right. Um, two reasons, really. One is that I don't think we've plumbed the depths Mm. of the meaning of incarnation. Mm -hmm. Our view has been too small. Mm. We've sometimes treated God's decisive revelation in Jesus of Nazareth as if that were the only place God is present. Mm. I believe we should treat it instead as a window Mm. through which we glimpse God's way of being Mm. in the world. God's real presence mm-hmm. in, with, and under all things. God is in all things. All things are in God. I love the metaphor Augustine uses in his confessions. He pictures the creation as a sponge. And mm-hmm. God is that great expanse of the ocean that surrounds it on all sides and permeates it. So it's like the finite creation is everywhere filled with the infinite. Mm. The metaphor illustrates how God might indwell the Mm. whole cosmos while not being reducible to the cosmos as pantheism would have it. 
Right. God indwells all and transcends all. Right. The other, the other reason I've taken up incarnation is that I think there are many ways in which we just get it wrong. Mm. Amid the various Christological controversies in the early church, the Council of Chalcedon navigated a very careful pathway forward, affirming mm -hmm. truly God and truly human, two natures in one person. But that has seemed to many contemporary believers to be paradoxical at best and contradictory mm -hmm. at worst. Right. right. So many Christians end up settling for a Christology from below, emphasizing mm -hmm. the human, or a Christology from above, emphasizing the divine. Right. Mm -hmm. Either it's, is it's, and it's sort of it's, yeah, Exactly. There's a delayed eschatology or a realized eschatology that gets baked into that and yeah. nowhere in between. And so what I feel like you're, you're trying to do in this incarnation is bring those together, this, this view that you're plumbing with with your book indeed i see a problem if we go with the strictly human jesus um if if we do then we if there's not true god in him then we cannot learn anything about who god is and how god's related to the world by looking at him we can't make the ancient affirmation if this is God, then thus is God. Mm -hmm. So we can't learn about God from Jesus of Nazareth. And conversely, if if he's only divine and not right. human, right. then um, there's no possibility for us to follow. We can right. worship him as divine, but we can't be expected to follow him. Right. But in fact, we're called to follow and not just form a kind of cult of Jesus. Right, right. So these yeah. are perplexities, and I have ideas. <laughs> Good. I want to hear those ideas. I mean, it, it sounds like it changes. This is, this, is a, this is a true kind of Christology that you're writing here, it seems to me. Um, and it changes how we think about the Christ event uh, period. I mean, a lot of times people talk about just seeing uh, Jesus and Christ through the cross, but you're talking about mm -hmm. seeing Jesus and Christ um, through the incarnation. Uh, right. It's a different lens, um, and and it, it 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 seems like it would change the way we think and act. Indeed, mm -hmm. that is crucial to me. It's it's the end point of our theology of how mm -hmm. then shall we live. And I see this particularly if the cross is read through the incarnation. Uh, I think the the deepest implication of incarnation is that God is with us, mm -hmm. really with us, and even especially with the vulnerable, suffering mm -hmm. ones, mm -hmm. the least, the lost, the mm -hmm. last to be considered. Jesus stood with them at the margins. Mm. And uh, apparently this way of being was a challenge to the powers and principalities of his day. And they crucified him. Right. So I, I make the claim. Which means he was doing something right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, indeed, indeed. The cross 
is often misrepresented in our tradition um, when it's used as a legitimation or a glorification of suffering, a kind of myth of redemptive violence. Misrepresented in this way, it can become a tool in the hands of the powerful when they want to bless their violent ways mm -hmm. and call upon others to suffer mm -hmm. and sacrifice. Mm -hmm. But if we read it through the Incarnation, and we make the claim that God was in Christ, if this is the case, then our God, as Moltmann boldly proclaimed, our God is a crucified God. It mm -hmm. has been said, uh, if you don't have a crucified God, you don't have a big enough God. Mm. Uh, this to me is all the more apparent in this time when if we open our eyes, we can see that people are being crucified every day. Mm -hmm. Well, God stands with the crucified. Mm -hmm. To bear witness to this God, mm -hmm. we'll need to stand with the crucified. Mm -hmm. We'll need to stop the crucifixions. Mm -hmm. In this way, we bear witness to the cross and reclaim the cross not as a glorification of suffering, mm -hmm. but as a scene of dangerous remembrance, empowering resistance, and emancipatory hope. Mm -hmm. um, and gosh, our time is our time is running out. But oh. this leads clearly to one of the deepest theological questions there are, um, and one that drew me to much of your work in your first book, God's Power. <laughs> I have it here. Mm -hmm. uh, oh. Traditional understandings of contemporary challenges. Um, uh, but the chapter on theodicy, how can we mm -hmm. say God is with us in the face of so much evil and suffering? Here's some other chapters, folks. When we say God is with us, what do we mean by us? And I'll just give you a preview. It's not just, it's not just human beings. Right, it's beyond. It moves to the creation. So it moves back to your work that you're talking about. I was drawn to that chapter quickly. I wanted to jump into chapter six, and okay, then sure. um, and then uh, the uh, there are more questions that keep coming <laughs> from this. Like, um, uh, you know, how wide do you think God's divine embrace is? Mm -hmm. um, there's there is so many questions. Um, what do we mean by what do we even mean by Christians? And is is the us only Christian? I mean, that's kind of part of the questions. There's so many questions. I want to I want to talk about all these, but we're out of time. <laughs> okay, that's that's fine. Just in short, I I um, answer only us Christians, only us humans, only us Earthlings. My answers are no, no, and no. Okay. I believe the divine embrace is wise, wide indeed. Wide and wise indeed, and both. <laughs> wide and wise, 100%. Um, so friends, Westminster John Knox Press, um, Ron Cole Turner, um, a, the Sharp Professor Emeritus of Theology at Pittsburgh Seminary talks about this as um, this book does just about everything right. It offers a courageous and resounding defense of Christianity's two most powerful ideas. I think it has more, but Trinity and Incarnation, a feminist, womanist, liberation's insights necessary for a credible theology in the age of Black Lives Matter. Most of all, it demystifies jargon 
and reawakens the mystery of the church's vision of creation overflowing with transforming grace and our loving God. There's ecclesiology in here. Uh, there's Christology in here. There's theodicy in here. These are questions, I think, that are right at the tip of our tongue. There is vision, eschatology in here. Um, and it, thank you for doing this work. Thank you for the teaching that you do. Thank you for the way you do it. I don't know anybody more gracious. I will tell you, I will be sending this book to join this book in the in the his, his, history and archives at First Presbyterian Church in Alabama, in Huntsville, Alabama, where they have this book and they honor and claim you um, as a child of that church. And um, we're just going to look forward to um, you continuing to do the good work that you do, Anna Case Winters. Um, many thanks to your husband, Michael, to your family, to McCormick Seminary, um, and all who support you. Um, I'll, I'll say to Garnet Foster, who loves you so much there in Chicago, and my friend. Um, as we're going, would you be willing to send and bless us with a benediction? Um, oh, be and before to. you do, oh, great. And before you do, um, let me, I want to invite folks uh, to join us um, in uh, just two weeks. Uh, we'll have with us Claudio Carvajes. Uh, I think he taught with you yes. <laughs> at McCormick oh, for some time. Uh, he'll be talking about his new book that I just also got over here, uh, Praying with Every Heart, uh, Orienting Our Lives to the Wholeness of the World. Um, so I think it will. It's it's very global in its in its outlook, like yours is. So I hope you'll join us on November. I think it's the third. It's in two weeks uh, for that that show. Would you bless and send us, uh, Reverend Doctor? <laughs> and thank you for your gracious words and for this wonderful time together. Thank and, and you. Good questions. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. Well, the charge is this: Let us go out and live into the new world that God is dreaming. God is calling us to ventures of which we cannot know the ending, by paths as yet untrodden, through perils unknown. Nevertheless, go with good courage, not because we see the way or know the destination, but because God is with us. Mm. And the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all, now and always. Amen. Amen, and thanks and peace to you, everyone. Take care.